sometimes I think life feels like an ocean. Yes. You realize you're, how small you are. You yes. realize, I think a lot of times nowadays, especially if you get so caught up in like the news, right. whether it's the climate or politics or everything, like sometimes your brain just like, shuts down because yes. it's so much to right. take in right. and in the day in today's day and age it's so easy to have all this information so instantly from the minute we wake up till we go to sleep at night it's bombarding us yes. and so i just remember a time period last summer that was very scary for me where i experienced this for the first time where i was at work and i tend to have a very happy cheerful disposition at work i like to joke with people yeah. i like to have that positive sure. vibe and I remember I was talking to someone in the break room and I was laughing with them. But at the exact same time, I felt completely dead inside. And my brain was like, I wonder if anyone would notice if I wasn't here. At the same exact time, I was having a real joyful conversation. But I was also thinking, do I matter? If I didn't wake up tomorrow morning, would anyone notice? Right. And that is that the existential thought of what is my significance in this world. Now, mm -hmm. what you can do with that, what you can do with that. Hi guys, it's your girl Nahama, your favorite Jew from the Lou. Welcome back to my podcast. So today I am honored and grateful to introduce to you my uncle, Dr. Hill Abramson. And I'm going to actually read to you his bio because it just shows you how qualified he is to talk about our conversation today. So Dr. Hill Abramson is a clinical psychologist with more than 30 years of experience that includes group, individual, and family therapy in both hospital and outpatient settings. He has a bachelor's in Talmudic law from Ner Yisrael Rabbinical College, a bachelor's of science in psychology from John Hopkins School of Continuing Studies, and a PhD in clinical psychology from the University of Memphis. He completed his internship in 1994 at the University of Tennessee Medical School Center for Health Sciences and postdoctoral fellowship under Dr. Patrick Lussman and Kenneth Friedland at Washington University Medical School Department of Psychiatry. He grew up in a very psychological-minded family with his father being a clinical psychologist and his mother a psychiatric social worker, both in private practice. He has done clinical research, has publications in both clinical and political psychology journals, is a two-time Van Fleet Fellow, and is the recipient of multiple research and training grants, including a Smith Nephews Rollin, did I pronounce that right? Rollin grant? Rollin grant for a clinical outcome study of communication skills training for older adult hip and knee surgery patients, a Methodist Hospital Foundation Award, and a Maternal and Child Health Training Grant. In his practice, he sees adults 18 and older and or their family members. The people he is best suited to help are those dealing with depression, anxiety, trauma, and or difficulty adjusting to life stressors, whether independent from or as a result of medical issues. He generally does not accept patients who are currently in the throes of abusing drugs or alcohol, though he does welcome those who are far along in their recovery and ready to work on their psycholog psychological challenges. He also has another part of his practice devoted to helping people with personal growth, communication, and conflict resolution at home and at the workplace. So as you can see, he is overly qualified. And I actually, even though he's my uncle, he's family. So I never really thought 
really much more about what you did. I just knew you were a psychologist and I knew you were very intelligent and always a great resource to talk to. But um, when I knew that I wanted to have you on as a guest, I was really racking my brains trying to think of what would be an impactful conversation to talk about. And so today we're going to talk about how labeling is disabling, specifically in the area of anxiety and depression because my generation is absolutely obsessed with saying that they have anxiety. They are obsessed with saying that they have depression. And I feel very strongly that it invalidates the experience of those who actually have chronic depression and chronic anxiety. And I'm not denying that people have those experiences, but they experience depression. They experience anxiety. And that's a totally different story than actually having a chronic issue. So today I wanted to go over, for the average person, what are the signs that you are in a funk and how can you cope and handle it? And when do you know that it's time to take those steps to seek professional help? That's an excellent question uh, and a very practical one. Yeah. Um, so what it boils down to basically, um, we all experience the range um, on a continuum of um, emotions. So there are times in our life we will feel, as you say, depressed or anxious. Uh, and so those people are giving an accurate description that they're feeling depressed and anxious. But um, the implication, really, it boils down to um, the frequency with which they experience it, the severity with which they experience it, um, the duration, how long it lasts, okay? Um, if it um, uh, is related to an event and part of the expected um, course of how one would normally react because depression and anxiety actually can be facilitative in certain uh, instances to help us reflect, um, to help us release emotions. Um, so how long it goes on for the duration and also the types of symptoms you're having. Um, we also look, um, in addition to those four qualities, to three other things and that is social functioning, occupational functioning, okay, and daily functioning. So if a person is finding that they are, um, for example, um, most of the time, okay, let's take major depression, for example, uh, most of the time they're feeling extremely down for a two-week period or more, most of the day, for most of those days, okay, that raises a flag, okay? Now they have to have other symptoms as well. And um, in order to, you know, determine it, they have the psych psychiatrists have what we call the Diagnostic Bible, the DSM-5, okay? It's also, of course, in, uh, you know, our uh, modern society, it's, uh, it's a, they have online versions, and they update them all the time, um, keep it current. But, and, and you'll see the other symptoms that are, so it's a cluster of symptoms, not just a depressed feeling. It has to be accompanied by really a deficit in functioning. So if you find you cannot concentrate at work, and you cannot function there, okay, to the point that, you know, not just one day you're having a bad day, but for two weeks, most of the day, uh, for most days, you're not functioning at work simply. It's time to start thinking about, well, maybe I need some help, okay? Or um, if, let's say, a person's very anxious, same thing, okay? Or if it's affecting their um, uh, social functioning, so every time they're talking to somebody they're, and they talk about anything, they're crying and they just can't interact other than to burst out crying, okay? So now that becomes now a, an occasion to, to raise a flag. So that would be more of an inappropriate response of crying. The, 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 those would be, I don't know if I use inappropriate, I would use those would be, it's inappropriate to the situation. Like are they, for example, if someone is easily triggered 
in a situation where maybe the average person wouldn't react that way, would that be a symptom? That would be a red flag. And yeah. then going back to depression as well, is depression like feeling sad or is it feeling lack of emotions? Well, it's an excellent point you just made. There are two, there are actually at least two varieties, probably more, but there are two varieties in the way that a depression manifests. One is where there is a sadness, okay? And so the person really is sad, they're tearful, um, it, it's consuming. That sadness is so, I'll give you an example of how consuming that sadness can be. One time, um, and I become very educated for my patients as well, uh, I try to be very open to that because you learn a lot from the people that you work with. Um, and someone uh, gave me a, a book to read um, about a French journalist, a writer, um, uh, and also a writer who actually was being um, knighted by the Queen Elizabeth, the Queen of England at the time, was in the middle of a major depressive episode. And that depressive episode was so overwhelming that the person had to take all their energy just to keep from crying in a moment that should have been a point of elation. So that would be an extreme case of sadness, of a sad depression. There's another kind of depression, and that's uh, referred to as an anhedonic depression. And that's characterized by nothing gives me pleasure. It's a flat, nothing gives me pleasure, no motivation, no desire, not because they're too sad and overwhelmed, but because they just don't feel anything anymore. It's a numbness. Yeah. Uh, in, in fact, on the Beck Depression Inventory, which is one of the um, uh, major instruments used to assess level of depression, one of the items there is, um, I'm so sad, I cannot even cry anymore. And yeah. so it can manifest one of those two ways or a combination, uh, alternating. I, I would say from both a physical health perspective and a mental health perspective, our minds and our bodies are always working to protect us. So would you say that like anxiety and depression is a symptom of our body trying to protect us from an experience that maybe we just was too much to handle? I think that is definitely one situation where it develops. Um, it causes us to pause and refocus. Um, uh, you know, the, the, there was once a great rabbi, his name was Rabbi Shlomo Volba, and he said that our emotions are really good for identifying problems. Okay, but we don't want to stay there. We want to do something about it, right? But it does heighten our alertness. Maybe something's out of whack. Maybe I'm devoting too much time to work and not connecting with family enough. Maybe, um, you know, may maybe something else I'm doing is out of balance. Um, so yes, it becomes, that's one point. There is another type though, and the other type is a physiologically based. There are people who deal with depressions or anxieties that um, do have a strong physiological component. Um, and in that case, that's a case where um, people have to start considering maybe a psychiatrist and medication. Um, bipolar is an example, bipolar depression is an example, one of those where medication can be a lifesaver and can be really very, very helpful and function. So yes, on the one hand, it can be a sign that something's awry in a person's life they need to address, uh, and it could be very functional that way. Um, and by the way, even if it's not clinical depression, it could be functional that way. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, when you're talking the clinical area, it can also have often a physiological component and sometimes both. So I think the best way to showcase how to maybe talk about symptoms and how when you can know you're just going through a season of depression versus like oh it's time to see someone professionally i'll share a personal experience which i've actually shared on a earlier episode 
where um, for me, I had certain expectations for how my life was going to turn out. And for some reason, I thought my whole life was going to come together at the age of 22. That was just when all my dreams were going to come true. I don't know where I got that idea from, but in my head, like 22, that was the age. So 22 came and went and I was nowhere close to what I had expected my life to be. And so that year between 22 and 23, I like just fell into the state of numbness that you were talking about, Mm -hmm. where it wasn't even that I felt pain or anger or anything. I just felt nothing. And I tried expressing that and it was just, I remember I had never felt anything like that ever before. So that was scary too. You know, it's not like you necessarily grow up with these feelings. Sometimes they just hit you because of life circumstances. Yes whether it be your own expectations or maybe like a traumatic event. In this case, it was my own expectations, which apparently I was such a dreamer that it put me in such a state, you know? And then I remember there was, I used to have this really long commute to work and sometimes I would get stuck in traffic and be on my drive for about an hour or more. And I decided that that was like the time when I was going to have like an open conversation with God for the first time in not a formal setting, not necessarily in Hebrew, like just me and him talking it out, mano to mano. And then I was very open about it. And I said, listen, I don't feel anything. I need your help to help me feel something because I feel nothing. And it would have been really great if he would have done like a little trickle, but it was just like a huge wave just came crashing down and all those real like dark emotions felt it all. Now, during that year on those commutes, I utilized that time to like let out and really feel those feelings. I no longer fought them and I just expressed them in like the safety of my own car. And like just for me personally, because I have faith, like I was able to express it with God and that was very cathartic for me and I got to a much healthier place. But I don't know if everybody has that opportunity or that faith to be able to know how to get out of those feelings. Right. So and, if someone were to experience that, what would you tell them from a professional standpoint? Because they don't have chronic depression. They don't they haven't been diagnosed with bipolar disorder. How do they navigate those feelings that just suddenly come crashing down on them, whether it's extreme sadness or numbness? Right. I think the first step is to figure out where those feelings are coming from. And I think you had an advantage, uh, which was very good because you tend to be introspective and you're intelligent enough to figure out where that was coming from. And you knew it was coming from a lack of expectations. So I think the first step is knowing where is it coming from, to sit down and reflect and say, you know, what is it that I'm thinking that's making me feel this way? Okay. And um, once you can, that's a starting point. So once you know what it is, now you can start saying, well, okay, so is this an accurate thought that I really need to address something that I've been avoiding? Um, Is this an unrealistic thought that I need to change my mindset regarding? Right. And if you start that process, it can lead to really good places um, and lead actually to decisions in your life. Um, that can really um, change the course of your life in a positive way. So, you know, I would ask you, so, you know, when that experience happened and you had that release, and by the way, that's the other strategy. It's okay to release. It's okay to cry. It's okay to say, I feel anxious. Um, Because if we hold that in, it takes its toll on us. Yeah. Um, right. And, and, and so that's why we're built is, is, and so, so sometimes those feelings can facilitate a release you need it anyway. I think it's very difficult to navigate nowadays because a, 
a lot of people don't want to be the burden on their friends and family. Right. And in addition to that, I think we live in a time when with Instagram and TikTok, there's so many filters. Everyone's living through this like picture perfect highlight reel. And even mm. like the people in your inner circle who you know their struggles, you know what they're going through. You see those perfect stories on their Instagram page and your brain, it's really crazy. It just plays this trick on you and you're like, oh, they must be perfect. They must have no issues or challenges whatsoever. Right, and see this, we were talking about it's a mindset, right? So the idea is, am I thinking something that may not be so? And it's being really in in a kind way to yourself, um, being cognizant of what you're thinking and what is another way of thinking of it? Right. So uh, a lot of times I tell people that I work with um, and we use this kind of strategy, um, you know, don't beat yourself up just because you're having, quote, you know, irrational thoughts. We all have some level of irrational thought. Yeah. Just ask yourself, what's a different way? What's a better way that I can look at this situation that's going to facilitate? And then my question to you is, when you had that experience, what came out of that experience for you in terms of, um, you know, how did that change your life? Once you came to the realization that you couldn't um, anymore, you know, expect that at 22, you're going to have this, you know, this script played out. So, mm-hmm. so what, what, what then conclusions did you come to? How did that affect your life and how to change it well to be fair i was only like 22 23 so it did take a couple years and a few journeys and ups and downs till i was able to also my brain wasn't fully formed anyways too so it did take quite a bit to get to this conclusion but i finally reached this state of being where i realized that there's only so much i can control and if there is something that is you know, a desire of mine, but it's beyond my control, that's when I need to just let it go. As hard as it is, because if it's causing me anxiety, if it's causing me depression, if it's causing me pain or anger, it usually means that it's something beyond what I can control. Right. So you hit on another very important concept. And this came to me a number of years ago when I was kind of just sitting reflecting one day in my office. And it's the idea of what is the alternative to control, right? A lot of times in life, we try to control things, right? Mm-hmm. And someone once told me that they, the way they feel is like there's, there was, used to be this show, the Lucille Ball show, right? Yeah. And, right? and there was this scene where Lucy and Ethel Mertz, her, her friend, were at this conveyor line with trying to wrap chocolates. I know, you know exactly. I do. You know I scene? do know the scene exactly. Okay. And this person described to me that's what their life felt like: is that these chocolates were mm. going on a conveyor belt and they couldn't control it. And so my 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 response from that I reflected before that on this idea as well is: so what's the alternative? If we can't control, what can we do? And it came to me: navigation, the concept of navigation. And if you think about it, the highest-ranking official on the ocean, okay, would be an admiral, right? Okay. You ever been on the ocean before? No, but I've been by it. So if you ever on the, you, you probably even from observing it would notice this, but when you're on it in particular. So many years ago, I took a trip with your grandfather, my father, um, to Cape Cod. And we took the ferry to Nantucket and I felt the ocean. It's a very powerful, vast force. This is amazing. I get tossed about and you just realize your smallness compared to this I did have that experience even from the shore I was like it was very humbling very humbling right and and so how does an admiral then 
navigate? Can an animal control that, that body of water? It's impossible, right? What they do is they navigate. What they do is they're aware of the forces that are at play. And the ones that are going in their favor, in the olden days when they had sails, right? Because people still do sailing. They put up the sail. Otherwise, they put down, have the oarsmen paddle. So that's how we are in life. It's navigation. We don't try to control. In, in fact, you know, we believe really God's in control, right? So, right. so there's no point anyway in, in trying to, to control things. But we can navigate. We can understand the forces at play and try to see what they're telling us. And there is like usually something you can do, right? Like let's say, for example, um, I know a topic that a lot of people can relate to is the dating scene, right? Mm -hmm. It's a very tricky thing to navigate. Some people are blessed to find their person very young and very easily. And some mm -hmm. people just, we really, it's an adventure mm -hmm. to say the least. Mm -hmm. And so when that happens, it's very easy to be like, go into your type A personality and say, okay, what can I do to improve? What can I do to get better? How can I, like, why don't I do X, Y, and Z? And then it's like, you try to make this mathematical formula and then it will all work out, right. but then it doesn't. You know why? Because you had a pre, not you, but the person. A person, okay? yeah. A person had a presupposed template of how it should be rather than observing what's happening. And the first question for a person who's a navigator would be, okay, so is this really a good fit? Not do I have to fit that person, but is this a good fit? Is, am I having a good feeling? Let me look at what my feelings are around this person, okay? Let me see, I may like and have an ideal that I want a certain income or I want a certain you know, um, status or I want whatever, right? Um, or I want a guy who looks a certain way or whatever, right? But then, hold on a second, let me look at the whole picture here. What's the vibe that we're getting here? And does he like me enough that he deserves me? Because if he doesn't appreciate me, you see a lot of people think, well, I'm not good enough. But really, couldn't it be the flip side is, well, that guy didn't appreciate me. I am there to be appreciated. You know, your grandmother, uh, right, uh, my, uh, my mother, she used to have this saying, it's their loss. But the idea behind that is that that person really isn't for you because why would you be with a person who can't really understand or appreciate you? Well, I think there's two parts of it. Like you said, there's, you know, dating the wrong people, but then I think there's also a long a time period that a lot of people go through where they just don't have anyone to date, period. Right. Like it's just, they say you're either lost in a forest or you're lost in a desert. Right. One or the other. Both are issues. They're right. just different issues. Right. And so I really think for me now, the best mentality is to just like take all that energy where I was like trying to solve a problem that's clearly out of my control. I'm giving over my creative director role to God taking all that back on me. Right. I'm now my main character energy and taking all that energy back on me to like develop myself to be the best person I can possibly be. Right. And then my vibe will attract my tribe. Naturally, right. when you are in a good flow, you attract the best things in your life. Right. But I did want to talk about how, like we talked about, you know, there's certain triggers, whether it's expectations or traumatic events that can cause a person to go into having feelings of anxiety or depression. Yes. But sometimes... I think, like you said, the same way that you felt the vastness of the ocean, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes I think life feels like an ocean. Yes. You realize you're, how small you are. You yes. realize, I think a lot of times nowadays, especially if you get so caught up in like the news, right. whether it's the climate or politics or everything, like sometimes your brain just like shuts down because yes. it's so much to right. take in right. and in the day in today's day and age it's so easy to have all this information so instantly from the minute we wake up 
till we go to sleep at night. It's bombarding us. And so I just remember a time period last summer that was very scary for me where I experienced this for the first time where I was at work and I tend to have a very happy, cheerful disposition at work. I like to joke with people. I like to have that positive vibe. And I remember I was talking to someone in the break room and I was laughing with them. But at the exact same time, I felt completely dead inside. And my brain was like, I wonder if anyone would notice if I wasn't here. At the same exact time, I was having a real joyful conversation. But I was also thinking, do I matter? If I didn't wake up tomorrow morning, would anyone notice? Right. And that is that the existential thought of what is my significance in this world. Now, mm-hmm. what you can do with that, what you can do with that, and this is what we talk about changing a mindset, right? Is you could either stay in that place, which probably wouldn't be too pleasant. No. Right? Okay. It's or very conflicting. Also it, yeah. confusing because you're feeling like joy because you're being present, but you're also not present because yeah, you're too cause, deep. Well, because at, at a deeper level, you're feeling, well, what's my significance? Right. And what you can do is you can change that into a question, hey, what is my significance? And that could lead in a number of paths. Number one, it could say, you know something, there's some other things I need to do that I really wanted to do that are making me feel like I'm not significant right now. And if I do those, I will feel my significance in this world, I'll feel my place. Or it could be reflecting on, you know something, I didn't realize that I did this and this and that, and I really am more significant than I think. And here's my contribution. Okay, so it's looking at what you did. You know, a lot of times in society, and this is another strategy, by the way, for people who are feeling overwhelmed or feeling like they aren't accomplishing enough, and that's the source of their thoughts of their depression or anxiety, and or anxiety right? It, feelings of anxiety it is to, to do, what, do what I call, you know, people have to-do lists, okay? I think to-do lists can really induce a lot of anxiety. I'm all for them, but you need to use, I think the way they can be used most effectively is turning them into did lists, so you look back at everything you check off that you did do, and then you can see what your accomplishment is. Now, this is an age-old wisdom, okay? There was another great rabbi by the name of Rabbi Yitzchak Kutner, um, who was your grandfather's um, you know, dean of his, of his uh, rabbinical college. And he quoted King Solomon, wisest of all men, right? Uh, at least in the, in the you know, worldly knowledge. And so King Solomon said, I'll tell you in Hebrew and then English, Lev chacham yamin v'lev which means the heart of a wise person is to the right, the one of a foolish person is to the left. Well, if you open up a Hebrew book, the direction of the language goes the opposite of English. Oh, and you see, so yeah. what, what Rabbi Hertner said was, if in life you look at everything to the right, then you'll see everything you accomplished already. And you'll feel good and you'll feel energy and you'll feel like you can move forward. But if you look to the left, the things you haven't read yet, the things you haven't accomplished yet, it seems all overwhelming. So a, a thought, and there's also another concept in psychology called an anchoring experience. So if you're facing something, what did I do that was similar to this new situation that I'm dealing with that I know I succeeded in, and what can I bring from that experience to this? You see, again, yeah. you're looking to the right. You're looking at what you already accomplished to build on that for the future. I think uh, many people, women specifically, I would say, fear aging yes. and getting older, yes. right? Because uh, especially when we're young, we our looks are so much of what people see about us first. Right. And uh, we put a lot of value and identity into those looks. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm still very young, but at 27, like I have lived some life at this point. I've have accumulated some experiences and overcome challenges yes. in such a short period of time. Yes. And What's so fun for me is I'm really enjoying getting older 
Like for real? What, what what is it specifically you're enjoying about getting older? I well, life. This is so cliche, but when you finally get it, it just means something so much more, right. you know. Because you hear the quotes, but then one day you like you get right. the quotes right. where they say life is truly ups and downs, yes. and it's like. I have experienced enough good and bad in my life at this point that when I am in a place where I am truly down, I know that it will get better. Or I've experienced things where I'm like, I've had a similar experience or I have a big enough network of friends where they've gone through something and we've learned and shared and connected over those experiences. Mm. So I now know how to navigate it when I go through it. And it's just been a really beautiful process. So getting older means, could mean, if you're open to it and you're a navigator, right, could be having more experiences and friendships from which you learn. And you can't do that if you don't have enough time on this earth yeah. to be able to learn those things. You know, actually, it's very interesting. I, I recently read in, in one of the uh, commentaries in, in, the, in the Torah, the, uh, the Ralbag, and he says a, a very interesting thing. He says, you know, if you notice in Genesis, right, in the book Bracious, that they have very long lives. Why did God give all those people such long lives. And he said the reason why was because in order to build the foundational experiences of how to navigate through life, we needed to be implanted in our spiritual genetics from people who had enough time to learn all those things to then transmit them to us, and we didn't need as long of lives because now we have their wisdom. So we're so standing the, on the backs of giants. The, exactly, but they had to, the idea is they had to be given all that time. It takes time. You can't have that wisdom without the time to be able to accrue it and have the experiences to understand at a deeper level to know in 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 you know is the word hebrew is yodea but what it means is to experience Mm -hmm. not just to know something intellectually but to have the experience of and those that's why those anchoring experiences are so powerful when you're dealing with a new thing because it shows hey i can't i did it not theoretically conceivable i could do it but i actually did it And I think something that I've done, kind of backtracking a little bit, Mm -hmm. um, we talked about social media, is it is such a powerful tool. It is something I'm going to be utilizing to broadcast my podcast. But at the same time, um, there's a lot of danger because there's a lot of comparison and fakeness and filters out there. Mm -hmm. And what I had to do, because it was affecting me so deeply, I didn't realize how like sensitive I was Mm -hmm. until I actually went off of Instagram for a whole year just disappeared. Um, Not from real life. I was actually living my life for real. Um, (laughs) But what was so crazy about it is once I went off of Instagram, I stopped wearing extensions. I stopped wearing as much makeup because my whole ideal of beauty, I didn't realize was being so influenced by the social standard that I had seen, which wasn't even real people. It was fakeness. The environment that you put yourself in does affect you and so it's important like you did to be reflective about what environment are you putting yourself in correct that's right and you, and you can be proactive there yeah. you do have impact I, I like to talk about in time of control I saw impact mm-hmm. right so you can have an impact in those areas and then you can kind of see where that leads to and then you can kind of assess how are you doing you know with that and even now like I know that you know it's so easy to get sucked back into that world because it's very addicting that um And I think part of the reason is that we go through so much challenge that sometimes we just want to veg out. Mm -hmm. And so uh, my life coach, he's actually going to be my next episode. We were talking about how when I come home from work, 
I would use to just go on my phone and veg, watch YouTube videos, be on Instagram, whatever, for like, honestly, sometimes hours. It mm-hmm. was pretty sad when I thought about it. Yes. Um, but I was like, you don't understand. At work, I'm being pulled in so many different directions. I have to put a smile on my face. I work with all kinds of personalities. I just need to decompress. And he's like, why don't you challenge yourself to try to meditate when you first get home or read or just something else? And I'm never one to say no to a challenge. So I tried it and it was so incredibly powerful. I was like, all this time, I thought I was relaxing, but social media, especially just those quick little videos, really gave me so much anxiety. You were doing something else also, which was very constructive. Meditation relaxes us and it Mm -hmm. certainly is one very important strategy to use when we're dealing with depression and anxiety, but it also allows us to clear our mind and reflect. Yeah. And so we gain perspective through meditation um, yeah, I call it the jigsaw puzzle phenomenon. It's, I, I, you know, I guess today they do jigsaw, jigsaw puzzles online and stuff like But in, in my day, you, you had the physical pieces. I'm sure they still exist. They do, they yeah. do, yeah. And, and so, so you know how it is when you're doing the puzzle and then there's that one piece you can't fit in a figure. Where does it fit, right? And you're just so in, you're so close to that puzzle and you're so overwhelmed at that point, you can't figure it out. What do you do? You go into another room, you sit beverage, you clear your mind, mm-hmm. you come back and now you can see it from a new perspective. That's life. This and that's is, meditation helps you do that. And that's so powerful that you said that because this is the stage of life where I'm at. Like when I, so they say your frontal lobe is completed by the time you're 25. Mm-hmm. I'm 27 now, but when I turned 26, I felt this shift in me where my priorities changed. And I used to want to fit that puzzle piece. And that's what my whole life was trying to fit and focus and be so, you know, wound up. Mm-hmm. And then 26, I was like, my i'm not looking for happiness that's not my main thing i'm looking for inner peace and they're yes, not yes. the same thing yes and so for me like you said like we even mentioned a little bit earlier when i feel that struggle when i feel that anxiety that's my trigger for me at this point mm-hmm. to know it's time to take a step back right there are two other things you're right and there are two other things is if you find meaning and purpose so the people that I've met that are some of the saddest people, I don't mean like I'm looking at them like that's a sad person. I mean that they feel sad, right? Or anxious or the people who are looking for happiness because they do all sorts of things, whether it's drugs or whether it's, uh, you know, relationship addictions or whatever it is that, that they do to gain their happiness. So they don't look at, you know, they look at that as the goal rather than as a byproduct of meaning and purpose. And so another strategy is, and this is sometimes why a person feels anxious and depressed, what's my significance, what's my meaning in life? So the answer is, okay, so let me figure that out. Let me reflect. And a lot of times where that purpose will be, will be where your talents and your passions intersect. Yeah. So it's so interesting that you mentioned that because the whole way that this podcast actually began was my company offered us $200 to use towards a hobby. And I was like, gosh, what do I want to do? And I had the whole year, so I was like, I'll, I'll figure it out. It doesn't, maybe I'll buy paint, I don't know. And then I went to a podcast meetup. My coach has a podcast, and they actually did a live one where all like some of the, like, the fans and listeners can come and interact and ask questions. Right. And I really wasn't going to ask a question because I, he's my coach. I can ask him questions whenever I want. Right. But I knew that it would be good for me to challenge myself, put myself in front of the crowd. And I've always had this belief that if you have a question, someone else has that question. But maybe they don't have the way to articulate it or they're not brave enough to do it. So Mm -hmm. it's important to voice it. Yes. And so I asked, 
what do you do if, let's say, for example, your career, which I have a career, I'm a graphic designer, you're great at it, you've mastered your craft, super good at it, brings you good money, all that, but it doesn't set your soul on fire. Right. But you don't know what sets your soul on fire. Right. It's not that you're not being passionate, following your dreams, right. you simply just don't know. Right. And so the advice that they gave me was that you should just say yes to everything because you never know what new direction would come in. Right, you have to experiment. But so that's, that's where experience comes in, right? Experience, correct. But then also I like to ask like the what if questions. Like what if I didn't have to worry about money and I could do whatever I wanted, what do I like really love to do? Mm-hmm. And I love to chit chat. So I thought, perfect. But I wanted it to be intentional. And I actually want to take a side uh, step back and talk about why you got into it because I think we have very similar personalities in terms of the fact that our family is a family of psychology and therapy and social work. And growing up with my grandparents, I used to spend just hours, especially with my grandmother, just talking with her yes. about all these deep intellectual stuff that probably most children didn't talk to their right. grandparents about. Yes. I like to say I grew up on psychobabble. Instead of just babbling. (laughs) Um, It made me a miniature adult, but I think as an adult, that ability to have that insight has been very helpful for me. And so I I too thought about going into psychology or therapy. Mm -hmm. Um, I just decided that I didn't care enough about other people's problems, Mm -hmm. to be fair. And I knew that even though they could train you to separate your emotions from your clients, I knew that I would care too much. So maybe I do care, I just care too much. And I knew that I wanted to make sure that for my friends and my family, my future husband, my future kids, like I wanted to be able to be there for them. And I felt that if this was my career, I would be so depleted by the end of the day, I wouldn't want to talk to them. Right. So, so first of all, I like the self-awareness and, and, the, and taking an action plan on that self-awareness because we can be aware of something but not do anything about it, and you did, and that's, that's very commendable. As far as myself and how I uh, got into psychology, um, it's actually not because my parents um, uh, are in, in the field. Uh, my father actually was the, uh, your grandfather was one of the first three clinical psychologists in St. Louis in full-time without private practice, without an academic appointment. Uh, the field was so new at the time that they didn't even have licensure in Missouri. And uh, but this was his passion. He, as a rabbi, he, he wanted to help people and wanted to have a higher level of um, training to be able to do that. But in any case, um, uh, and my mother was later in life, decided she wanted to become a psychiatric so- social worker, um, you know, your grandmother. And um, that wasn't the reason, though. Even though I grew up in this, I'm sure it had something to do at some level. But really, the experience that did it for me was I, between high school and college, I had absolutely no idea what I was going to do with my life. And I wanted to kind of just focus um, on studying the Word of God and just having an experience in Israel, you know, homeland, so to speak, idea, and uh, see with my identity where that would take me. It was kind of really a navigational journey. Well, one day, a roommate of mine, for some reason, felt, I guess, we knew each other well enough and he felt comfortable and he opened up to me about some difficulties he was having sleeping because of flashbacks, nightmares he was, and the nightmares he was having, seeing a friend of his blown up on the battlefield. You can imagine the trauma of seeing something like that and the guilt, survivor's guilt that he was experiencing. And I can't say exactly what I did, but however, it wasn't just listening, there was some active talk, but whatever it was that I did helped him and he was able to sleep, and he was able to have a sense of peace with himself. And I said, you know something? 
this really feels good. This feels like a purpose. I think I want to do this. Yeah. And so I decided from that point on that I wanted to become a psychologist. It's really powerful. And it's really nice to hear because, you know, those who know, know, like those who understand psychologists and the importance of therapy understand it. But I, and I think in today's day and age, it's become more open, but I think there is still a stigmatism of like a stigma. 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 Stigmatisms in your eye. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. Well, that's also a problem with psychological vision, right? Yeah. There you it go. Uh, nice save. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I think that there's just still a lot of people who are very nervous to go to psychologists and therapists, you know? Yes. And so it's good to know that there's people who are just genuine, authentic, and really care about people and their growth and just want to help people be better and live their best lives. Right. And for some reason, I feel found it energizing and yeah. I still do so, uh, I, I don't really find it plea I find it energizing because the focus often is um, not just um, which I am interested in them vent- venting is very important but it, what do we do with this and yes. it becomes I care about people and I like puzzles and between the two things we we collaborate and that's really I'm very much collaborative because as much training and experience as I have what I don't have is their experience Correct. And so I really work very hard to understand their experience and their perspectives. Uh, and uh, sometimes something will come out of that that actually is something you won't expect. Um, you know, uh, I'll give you an example. Way back when I was a student, so I worked on a physical rehabilitation unit as, as a, you know, a, a psychology trainee. Um, and there was this um, person who was referred to me because they had anxiety. Okay, this is what the problem was. What they were anxious about was a very circumscribed thing, how to get from one place to another. Okay, and like directions. So, yeah, they they just they were they really they're they're, even, even within the hospital. Yeah, even within the hospital, they were the, oh. yeah they were, they were very nervous about this, and so I thought to myself, this is very strange. Usually, people won't be nervous just about one thing and so circumscribed, and so I decided and asked my supervisor at the time, what do you think about this idea? If I take what was called at that time Wexler Memory Scale revised, it was it's a memory test and it parses out. Verbal versus visual spatial memory. Well, I did the test on the person, and I found that their verb, their visual spatial memory was three standard deviations, huge difference, below their verbal memory. And thought to myself, maybe there's something physiological going on here. And the reason they're nervous is because they really can't find their way. And I brought it to my supervisor. He said, "Yeah." He says, "Talk with the." chief resident is in charge of the case we did they did an mri and they found an undiagnosed stroke in the visual area and so you have to listen very carefully because often what you might think as a mental health professional or as even a friend is the initial hypothesis as to what's going on may not be true and you have to listen carefully to the other person and their experience to know whether or not that's correct you have to be willing and with ourselves you have to be willing to, in the process of growth or dealing with anxiety or depression, whether it's clinical or not, we have to listen to, you know, okay, is this the reason or is maybe something else? And to be open to that and navigate. That, that brings up two thoughts in my head. Um, one is I think there just must be a family trait that we have like this because, again, I didn't take the professional path that you took to uh-huh. help people by being a psychologist or a therapist, but I have always found that I'm terrible at small talk. I always get into deep, meaningful conversations, which is perfect for a podcast, but a little harder at a party. 
Um, yes. I'll be the one in the corner talking to some poor fellow who I just found. <laughs> and I'm like, cool, you're going to share your life story with me. Um, but also I have noticed that I don't know if there's a, a certain energy about me or something about my face, but like random people just open up to me mm-hmm. about everything. And sometimes it's nice. Sometimes it's much. Right. It just really depends on the circumstances. Sure. But um, I think we both have taken that natural love to want to help people and solve these issues and this ability that people trust us and want to open up. And you've used it for your profession. And now I'm using it for my podcast, which who knows, maybe one day might turn from like, you know, just a hobby to a profession. Absolutely. You never know where Absolutely. life can take you. That's right. But something really powerful that literally within the past few weeks, I've come to this conclusion based on what you were talking about, how you as a psychologist have to really listen to your patients. So, um, you know, I think a lot of times what causes anxiety and depression too is that you maybe don't know your why or your purpose. And unfortunately, there's too many cooks in the kitchen in your life. And the problem with people is that people give you advice based on their experience and also sometimes their mood of the day Mm -hmm. you can ask the same person advice a week Mm -hmm. apart and you can get totally different perspectives right which is terrifying right key question does this fit me which means you have to know who you are right which means you kind of have to like listen to that inner gut feeling um the way that i've coined this which i thought was brilliant um (laughs) if i do say so myself i got excited which was there is a difference when you hear advice, whether it was solicited or not, which is listening to understand versus listening to internalize. Yes. And so that really connects to the whole basis of my podcast because it's Eza Huchacham, Halomei Mikol Adam, one who is wise is one who learns from everyone. And so learning from everyone doesn't mean that their values and their thought processes is something that I will internalize. Right. You can, you know, but what's, what I want to create is a culture and a community where people learn, where we're open, where we're thoughtful. And it's like, that's so interesting that you think that way. I may not agree with you. We may not share the same values, but, um, it's, it's just so important to take on that Right. And that allows us to engage socially with people even who may not be exactly how we are. And that adds to the variety and the interestingness of life, which is another strategy, by the way. A lot of times uh, with depression, anxiety, or even just if it's not clinical even, we may want to isolate. Well, it's okay to isolate temporarily. It's adaptive because it causes us to reflect, but we don't want to get stuck in that isolation. Mm -hmm. We do want to reach outside of ourselves to others and to other activities and get away from that zone of conflict so we can come back to it. So I want to actually dive right into that because um, I do know, you know, people who really deal with chronic depression or anxiety, there is these rehab centers where there's like immersive therapy, immersive meditation, you know, and Mm -hmm. you're you're quite literally taking yourself out of your environment Mm -hmm. and you're going through that process. Um, What are your thoughts on that? Do you think that it's positive or not? So I think it depends on the person. Okay. Um, It really has to be a fit. For some people, they need a more intensive experience. And for some people, it's overwhelming. And you, you kind of know based on, A, if you know the person's personality. Are the type, are they the type of person who comes, oh, t- tend to become overwhelmed? Are they a person who needs to get away from their environment? 
is that what they need? So you have to kind of make those kind of decisions. And sometimes it's not so simple. Sometimes they have to try something. And if that doesn't work, they have to listen to themselves. It's not working. Right. Sometimes it's not that a person is resistant, like, you know, in the old school, right? That's just a resistance. Okay. Right. I, sometimes I think when you say someone's, and that's not that it doesn't happen, it does happen. But I think it's over, an overused concept. And a lot of times when a person is resisting, it's because it doesn't fit. Even Freud himself had a concept called an ab reaction, which means that when a person, you can see the other person's feeling what you said, that, they're, that they, it really registers with them. That's a sign that you may be on the right track. If they're resisting it, it could be resistance, but it could also be that you're wrong. And, and a person has to be that way with themselves as, as well. And so you can't kind of say a global, is this good, is this not good? The question is for whom? And you have to kind of know kind of what their personality makeup is and have a, a good picture of what their needs might be. And then is this going to address those needs? Is this going to be a good fit? You know, it, it's, it's very interesting because it, let's talk even an area uh, that I really don't, um, you know, uh, deal with a lot, but, but it's a very good illustrative example. Um, so there's a, a famous psychologist by the name of Martin Seligman. Um, and he did a survey, a national survey, of people who were having difficulty with alcohol and drugs. And he wanted to know, do people get better without inpatient rehab? Okay, this is the fit question, right? Yeah. What he found was something shocking, but also very enlightening and very, very powerful. He found that about two-thirds of the people who get quit drugs and alcohol or without any inpatient rehab treatment. I believe that. Two-thirds. And he found what is the major determining factor? A person comes to a conclusion in their life, this can't, and it's a, a, a very definitive conclusion, and it's not shaky. And they come up with a, a clear conviction in their mind, this cannot be in my life. Once they make that decision, things follow from that. Yeah. And, and, they, and then he reanalyzed data from people who were in those rehab facilities and still found it was that decision it was that insight and the question is how do you bring about that insight is it going to happen inside of a, a center where some person may be resisting in denial and that needs to be chipped away at or does it have to be a person has to experience life circumstances and say hey i just hit rock bottom this isn't going to be part of my life anymore yeah you know you have to kind of know um in, in a specific situation is this a good fit and sometimes that takes consultation to know that. Uh, and some, but it's a person who's listening to hear really what the issues are. And you want someone, it's very interesting, they, they, their study was once done, that they wanted to see who were the most successful therapists. And what they found is that the most successful therapists weren't necessarily the best diagnosticians. They weren't bad diagnosticians, but they weren't the star diagnosticians. The main factor that they found was that they were really good listeners and they listened for the person's needs, and they also listen for the person's, in particular, their strengths. And they were able to help a person get in touch with their strengths. So when you look at the whole mosaic of the, the strengths and the needs, etc., and then you see, is this a good fit? That becomes the question. So I wouldn't say yes or no. I would say it depends who you're talking about. For some people, that may be the, the, the godsend. For others, it may be not where they should be. Yeah. And then I want to talk about, so the, lab, the title of this episode is going to be the one where labeling is disabling, because like I said, people experience depression, they experience anxiety, but I think a really big issue is when you label yourself with that title, 
it's hard to get out of because then you wrap your identity around it. So I wish I knew who wrote this poem, but I found this poem or this little quote, I should say, on depression where it says depression is smaller than you. It's always smaller than you. You do not operate within it. So the parable that it says like you or the analogy is it may be a dark cloud passing across the sky. But if that is the metaphor, you are the sky. You were there before it. And the cloud can't exist without the sky, but the sky can exist without the cloud. Yes, I agree. A, a label can be very powerful. There's, there's a theory called role theory. Mm-hmm. A person gets stuck in a role. And it's not just the label. They start living it, and then they feel like that's what they have to do or that's what they have to be. Yeah. A very poignant example was something called the Stanford Prisoner Project, which was in the psychology basement of Stanford University. Um, they, they, they did an experiment, and the experiment was as follows. They advertised you know, to get the general public. This wasn't just you know, a, a limited sample of undergrad psych students okay, looking for credit, but these were people from the community that they paid to do the following thing, either to adopt the role of a prisoner or a warden. The experimenter had to stop the experiment for ethical reasons after three days because people were getting so much into their roles. And they were told, by the way, mm-hmm. you will still be paid. You can leave at any time you want. No consequences. No no negative things. They're told in no uncertain terms. You can leave any time you want. If the heat's too hot in the kitchen, go. And, and without any shaming or anything. But the experimenter had to stop the experiment because people got so caught up in their roles. And sometimes you have to step, step back and say, how am I labeling myself? What role is does this really fit me? Is this helping? Is this productive? Right. Do I need to consider something else? And maybe just one label doesn't get it. We also, yeah. by the way, have to be ca- careful about labeling ourselves, over-labeling ourselves in the positive. Okay? Um, because sometimes we could be t- so taken up with ourselves and how insightful we are and et cetera that we're not listening to other people. Yeah. So it kind of kind of waxes both ways, um, you know. And I find one of the greatest um, remedies for um, uh, for when a person can get into that you know uh, zone of arrogance, right, is is great gratitude. I'm grateful that I was given this intelligence. You treat it as something that you're grateful for. You're less likely to then get involved in that label, get caught up in yourself. You're grateful for the other person. You're less likely to to necessarily label them also. Yeah. So gratitude can be a very, and it can also be a very good, powerful strategy for dealing with feelings of depression and anxiety, whether in a clinical level or not. Yeah. So much to take in. Yeah. Um, I, I had a, a professor once, he said that uh, he wanted to write a book on psychology. It's so vast. He wanted to call from rats to the Rorschach. <laughs> <laughs> thought that was a pretty cool thing. But, but you, you have to focus on these even psychologists, the area that you have an interest in, because if you spread yourself too thin, you're less likely to be effective. Right. You don't want to be, you know, like the cliche goes, right? Um, master of, of all trades and uh, right? jack of all trades and master of none. Right. Do you find, I mean, this is your niche is like anxiety and depression. Did, did you find that it's more prevalent now, or is it just that we are more aware of it because people talk about it more? I think that's an excellent question. I don't quite 
uh, know the full answer to that. You know, I think, you know, we talk about, yeah, society is so stressful and there's so many expectations and, you know, the, the, the economy, etc. And I ask myself, well, you know, think about it, you know, um, you know, there were wars <laughs> there were, I mean, in, in the past history. There, there were some pretty traumatic e events going on back then as well. You know, I don't know. I'm happy there is an awareness of it today, and I'm happy that more people are reaching out. Um, and also, not just for, you know, a reason to see somebody. Another part of my practice is also personal growth, um, communication, conflict resolution. Okay, a person may not have a psychiatric diagnosis at all, but they need, they, they need, they do need to have someone who can help guide them, kind of like the life coach you have, right? Yeah. And, and it, it can be a very, to, to get another perspective, can be a very powerful thing and to collaborate with somebody on that can be a very powerful thing. I think yeah. it's very important. Finding yeah. the right person also is like a very important yeah. thing. Absolutely. Uh, it's so funny, like the amount of relationships that we find in our life. Like it's not just romantic ones, it's friendships, right. it's work relationships, it's mentorships. Right. Like there's so many right types of people and there's different eras in your life right. when someone is a perfect fit and then you kind of transition and it's like they That's were not right. meant to be I remember Grandima used to use, uh, my grandmother used to use the uh, analogy of like an uh, elevator. Some people are meant to stay on for the entire ride and some people you let off at different floors. They're not supposed They're to be there. Excellent metaphor. It's so, um, uh, yeah. So, but, but the thing is, the way I discovered that was actually through someone who, who was a patient who said one day to me, you know, I want to go from survival to living. And I said, mm -hmm. you know something? So up to now, I've been working on people to ameliorate their depression, their anxiety, you know, their trauma to, to, to rise above it, etc. But one second, so what about now that that's taken care of, what about the rest of their life? Mm -hmm. Now what are they going to do with their life? I, the person had a really good point. I want to go from survival to living. It's not just about not having this and being there, but it's about growing and, and, and having a life. Well, I'm so glad you mentioned this because this is actually something I wanted to mention in the podcast was... Um, Mark, one of the co-hosts of the Give More, Be More podcast, one thing he is constantly saying is that happiness is not the default. And so many people think it is. Right. And so it's like you said, like there is that time period where you have to get over the trauma. You have to get over whatever your issues you're dealing with, big or small. But right. then like happiness is earned. Happiness is something right. you have to work on daily. And it's not for every situation. For example, thought came to me one day, you know, Let's say you go to someone's funeral, like when we were at Grandima's funeral, right? Mm -hmm. Would it have been appropriate to be happy? We all kind of were, though, because we hadn't seen a family in so long. It was that, kind that, of that, nice to that, see that, everyone. That, that aspect, yes, but the loss. The loss was, was traumatizing. Right? The, 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 the grieving and the loss. So that's appropriate at that time to be sad. Yeah. To, it's okay to cry. It's, sometimes we need that release, and sometimes it, it, it is a, a, a memorial and an and honor to that person's life that we appreciate that we've lost something. Again, we don't want to stay in that dark place for too long. There's something you know, called a prolonged grieving reaction, and that's yeah. actually a clinical entity. But, but, you, but you do want to go through a period of that, or sometimes you know, we have to change our mindset about these things. Stress and measure is your friend. Sad feelings have their place. See what I'm saying? You have and to so, not fight them. Like, allow yourself to feel them. Well, well, but also sometimes they facilitate our lives. They cause us to be more reflective. If they're not staying around too long and if they're not in too intense of a form, they can actually be helpful. You know, um, I would make the argument that a lot of actors and actresses perform well because they have a certain level 
of stress that and, and expectation that causes them to perform. If it's out of whack, that's too much. But if it's in the right measure, it actually facilitates and enhances their performance in, in general for any of us. It, it enhances our performance. So there are times when these things, they have their place. They're adaptive. You know? right. and, and, and it's also another thing. Humor is a very helpful thing in these, in these situations too. Mm-hmm. I remember observing at the moment that the size of the hill pieces was the size of koshering salt. And I said, this is just God making me more kosher. <laughs> and then I was able to kind of get my bearings and run to where I needed to run to. Yeah. So. There, there's something super powerful about laughing, I yes. think. Yes. They've shown, psychoneuroimmunologists, there's a whole field shown that when people are able to smile and laugh at jokes, their immune system actually in, uh, improves. You know, I think, honestly, that, just getting on a personal note, that actually is when things shifted for me because I was bullied from second through eighth grade. And... I used, I was like a super sensitive kid. I took things like very deeply. And my mom would always be like, let it bounce off you. Like, don't take things so personally. And I, I just couldn't. Like everything right. I took so personally. Right. And so I remember around 13, 14, as a coping mechanism, whenever I, people would make fun of me, I would just make jokes. And then people would laugh. Yes. And so it was just like, it did help. And yes. then like it totally changed my social circles because then in high school I was actually quite popular and had a big group of friends because I learned to like incorporate humor. Yes, yes. The, 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 the beauty of humor is that it's not just something for yourself, it's something you share with someone else yeah. and it also provides pers- often provides perspective. I do try to think those because sometimes I feel myself using humor too much mm-hmm. as a me- coping mechanism sure. to the point where I'm like I'm feeling things a lot deeper and I'm coming off as a lot more like almost too light, if that makes right. sense. Like Correct. almost like won't, people won't take me seriously because I'm just right. being like such right. a jokester. Everything in measure. That's right. right. So I have to like keep that in track as well. Yeah. Um, Life's a balance, right? It definitely is a balance. But yeah. one thing, this is kind of out of context, but I have ADD and it's just my brain was like jumping back into yes. this. But uh, talking about aging and how beautiful I think that experience is. It was just funny because today uh, a few of the girls and I were like talking about like Botox because mm-hmm. usually now girls start getting Botox in their mid twenties, so, like mm-hmm. early thirties. Mm-hmm. And I was like, honestly, I kind of just want to get old. I just want to see like, what yes. am I going to look yeah, like? What's that experience? Right. Yeah. I think that is such like a challenge. I almost want to throw out there for girls to be like, why don't you just see how things turn out? It will probably be a much more graceful, natural process than if you try yeah. to add in anything. One of the benefits is we become less materially focused. Yeah. And and right because beauty is is um, beauty is something to be appreciated, but it's also a material experience and something that has to be in measure as well. And there was a famous rabbi once asked, "If you had, have you ever had like a second thoughts about if you were to design the world, would you design it any differently than God did?" He said, "I once had a thought that that." You know, why is it that when we're young and we have all the energy, we don't have the wisdom? And as we get older, we don't have the energy to carry out some of the wisdom, mm-hmm. right? So he said, I was thinking on a redesign. He said, and then I realized. So what's the answer? The answer is, as we get older, so as we age and the physical appearance becomes less important, we become more spiritually focused for that transition and the next part of the journey. I'll tell you an amazing story about uh, your grandmother. So Grandiva, when I, I was the one who had to impart the news to her that she was gonna have to um, move to Chicago and go to a nursing home because that was just better for her in her unique circumstances. And she thought for a moment 
And she reflected and she says, you know, Hillel, she says, I guess this is God telling me that it's time not to be so focused on the physical anymore. She, as you know, Grandima liked some of the finer things Her in life. Her little tchotchkes. Yeah, and she had very good taste and you know, she liked a lot of the finer things in life. And she said, maybe it's now time for a deeper level of my spiritual journey to get ready for the next stage. Wow. That was very powerful. And so every stage has its thing. When we're young, we're supposed to have the beauty, right? For whatever reasons that, that, that exists, right? Whether it's because that, you know, it, it attracts people's attention to us and they, because maybe we don't have all the wisdom and we do have some wisdom, but people don't recognize that. And so that gets their attention or maybe it, you know, it, it just it, it enhances a marriage and all those different things that, that, that it might do. And, 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 you know, but as we get older now, we don't need that anymore. Right. It kind of, right? And th th therefore, again, I'm, I'm not criticizing individuals who want Botox or some people who in their professions need to look younger. In yeah, order to, and some people to, do it for, you know, health reasons yeah, as for, well. For, yeah, health reasons. So they're, they're, But even for appearance, sometimes there's a reason. Yeah, it's, again, it's, there's no cookie cutter Everything, know, solution. Everything's every person, individual. Yeah. Right, but, 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 but we should reflect when we're doing that. What are we giving up by, like you say, by giving up? the aging process. Again, it's a matter of shifting the mindset and then taking action, not, not leaving it there, but taking some action. For and are you mindset. doing it for yourself? Or are you doing it to fit in? I think that's a very powerful reason as well. I think that's a very good question. Um, I want to end with a really powerful story, which is there's a lot of motivators to why I started this podcast. Right. But one of them was um, earlier this year, a coworker of mine who I, I'm friendly with everyone. I talk to everyone, but I don't necessarily have deep relationships with everyone. It's just maybe more of an acquaintance. Right. But he seemed like such a sweet, like just vibrant kid. He was only 20 years old and he committed suicide. Sad. And it just really shook everyone up for so many reasons. I mean, he was young, 20, it's a baby. And then also, he just seemed so vibrant and positive. Every time you saw me, he had a smile on his face. So it just made me really think that it's very important that we talk about anxiety and depression because you never know what someone's going through. And so it's just important to keep that in mind. But in right. addition to that... And, and that if someone's smiling, doesn't necessarily mean they're happy. No, and I know that from personal experience. Right, and, and, and what you want to look at, developing a sensitivity and observation. So maybe we'll catch someone else, not everybody. But maybe we'll catch someone else. But that also goes back into what I was saying. As I've been getting older, like he was so young, I don't know if he had that experience to know that things were going to get better, that he had his whole future ahead of him. You know, sometimes like in the moment, it's just too much mm -hmm. for someone so young. Like you have to think like how much pain must he have been going through in that moment where he yes. felt like I can't get out of this moment. Right. And it's okay to reach out for help. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, but it also got me thinking, and this is just me, but... It's more than just wanting to help people. I believe that everyone has a story. And so I, I, there's an account where it's called like Humans of New York. And this guy goes around interviewing like all the different, you know, interesting characters yes. in New York. And so that's what I want my podcast to be. I want to give the everyday person an opportunity to share just a piece of them. Because people are so deep. Yes. And I'm really good at having those deep conversations. Mm, that's so great. that's why I want to have this podcast. Yeah. And I'm happy you have this podcast. I'm happy you found a niche here. Thank you. And I wish you tremendous success with this endeavor. Amen. And it should inspire people and it should help them to be aware of what they need to be aware of and to grow and to and, and to focus 
yes, on themselves, but also to, to not that be the exclusive focus, to be there for others as well, and to put out some of the messages you're saying to people. Like, you know, you could broadcast, hey, um, you know, their own stories about, hey, I had a really dark experience, but I can tell you if you wait it out, it's going to be okay. Yeah. So sometimes just broadcasting those messages, and if someone hears a podcast, again, hindsight's twenty twenty, but we're made to learn from these experiences, and again, not to expect that we're going to perfectly be able to learn every time, but to make the effort, and hopefully then the one above will guide us to success in helping others. Absolutely. I wanted to thank you for coming today. Um, we're not airing this episode today today but it is a fast day which means that you have not eaten or had anything to drink all day so the fact that you're here and you're so present I really appreciate you taking the time and also I think uh, it's just so appropriate that we're talking about how to deal with this feeling of sadness considering that today's fast day is the beginning of entering like one of the saddest times of the Jewish calendar. So can you share for a moment more detail-wise what this is about? So there were five events that happened uh, on this day in in history. Uh, The most prominent one uh, is that the wall of Jerusalem was breached and that led ultimately um, to the destruction uh, of each time of of the Holy Temple. Um, the, the, the tragedy of that was that um, we then we had an intimate and a very tangible connection with God, purpose, meaning. Um, there was a, an infused joy um, and, and at the same time a reflective um, you know, seriousness, that balance. We had extra help with that um, and we lost that. And so um, we mourn again. But notice, we're not, we, we, we're not mourning it with this intensity every day. We do mourn to a certain extent, you know, the, the loss every day, but, but we don't mourn it to such an extent that it's going to paralyze us in our lives because we right. still do have a relationship with God just on a different level and, and retrieving that. So that's, that's the main event. There also was a, uh, this was a day that Moses um, found the uh, people of Israel um, uh, trying to find another means to connect to God other than the one that God had defined. That's according to the Ramban. And, and, um, and, he, and therefore, he said, they're not ready for this right now. And he took the, the, the tablets on which the Ten Commandments were written, the first set, and he threw them down, right? And, um, and they broke. And that was a sad time because we would have had more accessibility. We'd, but he, what Moses did, even God said, that was appropriate. Because right. we weren't ready, and sometimes we have to know when we're ready for something, right? Yeah. And so there's a lesson there in readiness. When, um, also, yeah. a, a scroll, a Torah scroll is burnt, and an idol was put in the sanctuary. Um, uh, you know, so there, there were a number of events that that, that happened today. Um, you know, that we have to to focus on. Um, another one um, was um, uh, that the um, during the revolt of Bar Kokhba which was after the destruction of the temple, some, some, 50, some, some years later. Um, uh, so there, there was a, like I said before, there was a, a Torah that was burned. Um, and um, so, um, and the daily offering to God stopped on that day. There was a daily offering brought to God, so we were in, con- we were in contact with God in a very intimate way. And that, uh, that connection was made harder to access because we didn't have 
that daily um, connection with with God in that way. Right. So, I think what's so powerful is, like you said, we we take the time out throughout the year to spend that time feeling our feelings and feeling sad because there is time to mourn. But at the same time, like the Hebrew phrasing is mematen bismcha. We lessen our happiness right. because even though we feel sadness, it doesn't mean that there can't still be joy. Right, and we have to absolutely that they're not polar opposites; they can coexist. Mm-hmm. We do know that, right? Um, and and, uh, and and often that that's expressed in the form of hope. So even though it's difficult now, I can be happy that it doesn't always have to be that way. Right. And to realize that the, one of the be- things that's beautiful in this life is that nothing is permanent. Even those things that are ne- that we perceive as negative or sad, um, none of them are permanent. You know, that old saying, this too shall pass. There's always right? hope. There's always hope. So and, and whether hope, you have chronic depression and anxiety or you're experiencing depression and anxiety, there is hope. There, absolutely, there is hope. I will tell you one more poignant story, and we'll, we'll leave off from that, is um, I had someone I worked with um, who, prior to meeting me for decades, had made a number of suicide attempts and was extremely depressed. Um, and the thing that kept them going was that each, thank God, each therapist that they had always gave them hope and told them, we're not going to give up. We're not going to give up on you. Um, I one time um, went off script and uh, barricaded the office because I knew if the person left my office, that person would take their life. And I called the family, take them to the hospital. But on that hospital stay, they met a psychiatrist who found the medication that worked for them. And now they have their family back, oh, wow. and they have their life back, and they're involved in creative endeavors, and that has been for over a decade now. Wow. So, there, yes, I can tell you from experience, you know, there is hope, and if you hold on for hope, you have to be around to benefit from it, but if you hold on, it can and often does come. So, to end the podcast, I always like to ask my guests if they can share something that someone or something that has taught you that has left an impact that you would like to share. So can you think of something? It's a hard question. I will tell you something. There are a number of them, actually, but I'll tell you one in particular. Um, And and it was very, uh, for me, um, I kind of knew it, but the experience of it really made it even more powerful. Okay, so obviously I told you one experience why I became a psychologist, so that was very impactful, obviously, right, in terms of my choice of career. But there was another one as a psychologist that um, I um, was referred somebody by an attorney to evaluate um, their level of anxiety um, from a car accident. And this person couldn't get in their car after the accident, they were crying, etc. Well, it turned out their story is, is that they, um, uh, they figured that this was another... A link in a chain of events which convinced them they were a religious person that God was out to torture them on the way down okay and so what you do in these situations all I was trying to do is assess I wasn't trying to treat at this point I was just trying to assess and I asked the person a question what you do is you see how rigid is that belief and you challenge it with another belief to see how rigid how resistant that belief system is and so I said is it possible that really God loves you he's kept you alive through all these incidents you've told me and he, yeah, maybe you have somewhat to work on, but maybe he's telling you he loves you, and in fact, he wants you to go to heaven, not the opposite. And maybe he, this is just kind of like some wake-up calls, but really it's an expression of love, and he cares about you, and he doesn't want to torture you. Because look, you've never been physically harmed in any of these situations when one would have been physically harmed. Person 
You can see their whole demeanor, their posture changed. But what I learned from that experience is that it's not just me doing it. And I think it's a life lesson for us to realize we're not alone. We're not alone ever. I thought I was assessing. God decided that's time to treat. And this person, the end of the story is, we set up another appointment. person calls me an hour after the first appointment and says, doctor, says, I don't need you anymore. I just got my car. The way whatever you said, whatever you said, it got to me. Wow. I see your point. I now can, but I, that wasn't my intent. I mean, I'm happy it happened. Don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. Okay. I don't know how, how happy the attorney was, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I never, but, but, but the point is, I'm sure the attorney was happy, but, but, but the point is, is, is that, um, you know, it's not just us. And I think there's a message there and the impactful message, not just for psychologists, but anything we do, we're not alone in that endeavor. We put forth the effort and we're helped along and it may not be right away, but it may be in ways we never expect, you know, like that was unexpected on, on my part, but that taught me, it was very impactful, both as a therapist and for my life to, to be humbled, but also it's an exalting feeling. You're a smaller part of something bigger than you that's helping you to help others because that's what we're here for, right? To, to care about others and take care of each other and look out for each other and, and express confidence in each other and, 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 the, and see the strengths in other people and appreciate them. That's beautiful. I love that. So for anyone listening, if you are a local in St. Louis and you would like to use my uncle as a psychologist, you can call him at 314-398-6703. And I'll also be leaving the number down below in the bio so you can get all the information there. But yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. I hope that this episode added value. And if it did, please, if you haven't already, leave a five-star review and share this with your friends and family. It really means the world to me. And let me know what you like about this episode. Let me know what more you would like to hear. And again, like this is a community that we're building. So if this inspires you to share your story, we want to create a safe space where everybody can talk about this. So we'll see you guys next time. Have a great week. Let's get it. Let's go.